Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Jake Shapiro, Rachel Beal, hanging out with you on this Friday. Jake, we both had late nights and so did a lot of Avalanche fans as the Avs were able to get the 2-1 overtime win over the Nashville Preds to go 2-0 on the series so far. What was your biggest takeaway from last night? Uh, My biggest takeaway is I was just happy to get some sleep, to be honest, because we're going to be in for a lot of these the next month and a half. And, you know, our, our boss over at denverfan.com, James Merillat, keeps saying, take it slow. We're going to be in for a lot of these, so take it slow. And, you know, I was thrilled. That was an exciting game. You know what the best part, honestly, of the game was? And, Rachel, you were there, so you can actually attest to it. When you hear the crowd audibly go, yeah. Not like a crazy, just loud chair. Everyone in unison just went, yeah, as soon as that Makar shot went in, which is so fun to watch. But again, this is game two. We want them to win the Stanley Cup this year. This is a cup or bust year kind of in everyone's mind. So we got to take it slow and uh, kind of pace ourselves here. No, yeah, I'm with you. Or when you have a shot on goal that's like this close and the whole crowd goes, oh, Like, those are the moments where you can just feel connected to all the fans, especially down at Ball Arena. It was a fun game, though, but I'm not going to lie. It did leave me feeling a little bit concerned because this was supposed to be what's going to be the easiest series for this Avs team. So the fact that it went into OT does leave me feeling a little bit concerned. Although I will say Connor Ingram did have a phenomenal game. Huge shout out to him because he was able to stop one of the best offenses in the National Hockey League for multiple shots. But does it leave you feeling at all a little bit concerned about the path going down the next couple of weeks? You know, I talked about this on our Avs face-off show a couple days ago. Um, Nothing in my mind says stealing a game like a goalie wearing the National Predators colors because of Pecorine for all those years. And here comes Connor Ingram in his fourth NHL game, first NHL postseason game. And he was unbelievable. It doesn't concern me that the Avs, uh, you know, the Avs won, so it's okay. But I'll put it this way. In my story last night, I wrote that the Avalanche dominated that game. They truly dominated that game. They just couldn't net one. And we all know how talented the Avalanche are up front, so we know they're going to score goals. It's not like that's actually a concern. So they just ran into a hot goalie. The thing is that I was actually really impressed with on the low, on the down low last night is you look at the avalanche over the last few seasons and Philip Grubauer was not a guy that could steal them a game. And, you know, it wasn't blow for blow with Darcy Kemper last night. The abs absolutely outshot the Nashville Predators, but two minutes before that goal, Darcy Kemper made three huge saves in a row. And That was the most impressive thing to me about last night's Avalanche game is that they have a goalie that if the Avalanche are having a tough time scoring one, two goals, which it took them into overtime to score that second goal, that goalie can keep them in the game, keep that dog in the fight. Well, and Will Peterson, too, said, you know, huge shout out to Connor Ingram, like I said earlier, but there's no way that he can play a game like this again. I mean, that kid probably did play the game of his life, which I'm really happy for him, to be honest. He's had a lot of mental health issues. He's dealt with a lot of adversity to get to this point. So it's great to see that he had a fantastic game. It sucks that he didn't come out on the other end of it. We're obviously benefiting from it, so we're not that mad about it. But still, what are the odds that he can put up this exact same sort of fight that he had last night, again, when it comes to tomorrow night and Monday night? You know, as we learned, he was going to be the starter yesterday. We learned his story And then we see him have a game and the Avs still win it. I think that was like the best possible outcome for Avs fans because we're all like, okay, 
we can all get behind this kid. But if he does it again, he's villain number one in Denver. Like, we hate this guy. We can't, like, he is the villain we need to get by. And the last thing we need is a villain developing in a playoff series that's supposed to go four or five games. Um, You know, I would say this. The TNT broadcast had something pretty interesting last night that they talked to Avalanche legend Adam Foote. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how his experience with Con- Connor Ingram, he's a fantastic goalie. Ingram was actually a former top 100 overall pick in the draft of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And goalies often don't go very high in the draft because they're kind of a dime a dozen. People look at them that way. So if you're going 86th overall in the draft as a goalie, it means you have a heck of a lot of talent. I actually wouldn't be too surprised if we see another game where Connor Ingram has, you know, maybe lets in two, maybe one, two goals maybe especially in Nashville where his save percentage starts ballooning over 93% or something like that, like it did last night. So uh, I think it's incumbent upon the avalanche to continue to just fire the pucks on the net and not get disheartened, disheartened by the fact that their goalie can get hot because that's why they won last night. They just kept playing the way they were playing. If they had for one second, even stopped Nashville would have won that game. Yeah, true. It was close. I was nervous. I was shaking during OT. That's the times where you're like, oh my gosh, I love sports so much. But we weren't the only ones who love sports. Last night, a girl went viral for sitting behind the avalanche bench. Oh my goodness. Contains and he scores! Oh my goodness. Okay, we're going to play that one again just so people could actually like zoom in. There's a lot going on in that video. We'll play it one more time. Check out the girl on the left. Are you kidding me? She's so stinking cute, so pumped up, but she's not wearing any avalanche gear. I'm like, what are her parents doing? She's sitting right behind the bench and no Avs gear on. Well, she's obviously a huge fan or is after last night. I wouldn't be surprised if the people over at the Avs reach out to that family and get her a, a jersey, especially with how viral she's gone this morning. The best part of that gal um, was not actually what we showed in the clip, but about 10 seconds before that clip starts, the camera was still on her and she mouths, it's over. And as she's saying it's over the second time, that's when the McCarr shot went in. So she started saying it's over when the Taze shot went, rebound comes back, and she's still saying it's over, it's over. Bam, McCarr, and she stopped saying it's over the second time around because she starts celebrating like you've seen. So not only is she going viral because she's the cutest little thing, but she called the game winner. She's a prophet. Oh, my gosh. Okay, first of all, so there – when you go to the ball arena, obviously you get the atmosphere and so much, but you also miss a lot of what goes on on like the TV. And obviously they capture a lot of these things and you see so many of these videos that go viral, but that is awesome that she did that. Yeah. I was unaware of that. That is so stinking cool. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, put her on NBA, uh, not NBA on TNT. I'm still caught up uh, in what TNT has been broadcasting for you. Put her on NHL on TNT with Wayne Gretzky. Let her meet the great one. Come on, put her on a Zoom at least. Oh my goodness. Well, we love it. Um, Nathan McKinnon sat down with Sportsnet and they did a bit of an interview, you know, asking him about so many different things. They talked about Kadri. They talked about the Doomba fight. This is something that caused so much drama here in Colorado because Nathan McKinnon was in Calgary after that fight. 
and they were supposed to play Calgary. He flew home on a private jet because he had hurt his hand and they wanted to get it checked out by specialists in Denver. And then the next morning he was skating. So Nathan McKinnon spoke on this incident. Let's take a listen. So leads me to the Dumba altercation and the fight. Like, what were your teammates thinking of that? Like, you don't think about that. You just come in. Yeah. Good hockey guy. Like, what were your teammates saying? Like, man, we can't have you doing this. Yeah, well, Big Derms was right there. He was, like, coaching me during the fight. I could hear him yelling at me. And he said, actually, when we scored up, he was going to grab him to, to stop it up. Like, I'm glad he didn't. I looked like a, you know, whatever. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it was a clean hit looking back. But from my point of view, I just saw Nico's head kind of snap back, his neck. So... Stepped in, and if Landy was playing, he yeah. would have been there before me. Yeah, so, right. So it's just kind of our culture, I think, and anyone would have would have helped out there. So, like, what did management do? They, do they have anything to say about the dog getting a little squirrely like that, or is that just comes with the package? Yeah, it just comes with me. You know, <laughs> you got to take it all. So. I love how honest Nathan McKinnon is. Those were a lot of questions that people had after the fight even happened. People were asking, did management say anything? Like, was Coach Bednar pissed off about the fighting? Um, of course, he mentions Landeskog because Landeskog's like the protector of this team. He's there for every fight. But it was interesting to hear the behind-the-scenes perspective of McDermott even yelling and, like, coaching him through the fight. Yeah. Um, from playing hockey growing up, we had two rules. You don't mess with anyone from Quebec and you don't mess with anyone from the Maritimes of Canada. Anyone from that St. Lawrence Seaway region and, and Cole, uh, uh, Nathan McKinnon is from Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia. You don't mess with them. They are tough cookies. Uh, Nathan McKinnon should not be fighting people. He is just not the guy you want fighting people. Gabriel Landeskog, you probably don't want fighting people either, but he's also, you know, the guy that you just can't take that away from. I also love the fact that at least Nathan McKinnon shared that management didn't say anything to him because they realized the importance of him being a leader to the team as people on our own radio station have questioned his leadership. That shows me more about Nathan McKinnon's leadership than some quote he said to the press two games before the playoffs or something. So I, I, I love that from Nathan McKinnon, but I hate the fact that he's punching. I, I don't know how to describe a hockey helmet to someone who's never touched a hockey helmet, but think about the hardest plastic surface you have. So if you have like one of those fake plastic glasses and you're punching this over and over like that hurt, like I am like that actually just hurt me a little bit. Um, but it hurts. And in, in the way hockey helmets are now, you need to keep that on in the fight or it's against the rules. So it's not like fighting used to be not that punching someone's face is that nice either, but it, it's a lot harder now. So uh, the fact that McKinnon's hand is okay. The fact that he kind of told the story about it is really cool. There's no way he actually synthesized any sort of knowledge from what McDermott was saying in live time. But I love the fact that Curtis McDermott was there for him and I love the fact Nathan McKinnon's like no 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 like let me handle this I can't have people thinking I'm a coward although as you know an abs guy I wouldn't mind seeing McDermott pick up a 10 game suspension for just jumping in there and making sure McKinnon's all right no that that was the point that so many people made I mean you said it even in the beginning of your statement he should not be fighting they need him they don't need him with a broken hand like for the end goal to obviously be winning the Stanley Cup they need him. So, but it was just so interesting. And I think you're right. Could you imagine though, if McDermott would have got in there, like would Nathan McKinnon have just been even extra pissed or like, what would have happened if that even would have, it would have been a whole nother thing of drama, but well, it's he just gotten an instigator penalty and 
immediately suspended because you can't be the third man in, in, in the fight in hockey is like the biggest no, no, because it just starts brawls. And they basically legislated that out of the sport. We all remember the big team brawls, the goalie brawls. I mean, I'm not going to lie as a hockey fan. I do kind of miss those because it gets everybody up out of their feet, but I understand for safety reasons why you don't want anything like that happening. Here's the thing. I, I and, and this is a sidebar, but whenever there's a fight in sports, the announcer's like, oh, we can't have that. Why can't we have that? It's so exciting. The fans love it. I want more fights. Like, I hate the fact that they're legislating fighting out of hockey. You know what? I don't want Nathan McKinnon fighting. But that doesn't mean I don't want Jack Johnson and Curtis McDermott fighting every single night. Like, I want to see these guys go toe-to-toe. I don't mind a a, a tough shot in the NBA even. Like, I want to see these guys show that they care be physical and emotional. It's part of why I grew up loving sports. And, you know, I I don't like the fact that a lot of these leagues are legislating out of it. Although, like you said, Rachel, I do completely understand the league's perspective on this, as well as the Players Association, Players Union's perspective on this. No, 100%. I do think what makes hockey fighting in particular so fun is they're on ice and they're on skates. Like, Half the time they end up on the ground because, you know, you lose your footing a little bit. You slide a little bit too much. We've seen fights. We saw fights in game one of the Preds um, Avalanche series, and we saw guys that were on the ice. It just makes it so fun. But the crowd gets so into it too. And in like every other sport, you can't fight. But in hockey, like that's the one where everybody gets into it. So, I mean, we both just said it. We understand why, but it's part of the game that I think fans love so much. And there's a code to it, and it's respect and honor code that gets followed pretty good, where you heard McKinnon talking about that code, where it's, I saw one of my team's star players get hit really hard, and I thought it was dirty upon first look. Even if it was just a hard hit, I wanted to step up and show my teammate I had his back. And the guy who made that hit knew what he was getting into. McKinnon knew what he was getting into. Everyone was consenting parties on that, which I think is the biggest part of it. Cause you know, we, we talk about what, you know, Ty Bertuzzi did to the avalanche all those years ago. That was not a consenting party. And that's the big difference. But if, you know, two grown men want to make the decision under their blood fueled rage that they want to throw fisticuffs on the ice for 30 seconds, all with the understanding that, Hey, if you go down weird, I'm going to put my arm behind you. So your head doesn't hit the ice, which is what normally happens. And you hear hockey players all the time when they're mic'd up say, Hey, do you want to fight? And they said, yeah, good fight. Like it's just part of the code and honor. So as long as that's being followed, I think we're in a good spot. If that starts to get broken and it's not consenting, that's when there's problems that occur, but there is such a fine line there. Uh, but right there, the instance we're seeing with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, that's part of the hockey code right there. And, and I love it. And that's what, one of the reasons why this sport is great, that even one of the star players doesn't feel like he's better than anyone else, that he feels like he needs to step up for his teammate. And, and that's really cool to see, although everyone in their mothers knows Nathan McKinnon's the most important, if not the second most important on the uh, player on the abs behind Kale McCarr. It's, it's, it's them too. Oh my gosh, Kale McCarr, so fun. My question to you, Jake, now is obviously as we continue down this playoff run, the team has been so good about not, um, you know, taking what the Preds are giving them and, you know, fighting back and you see them stop, you see them pulling each other away when there's words exchanged or you just see it's very mellow, which sounds kind of weird to say when you're thinking about like a hockey game, but they're stepping away. Now, when it comes down to say the Stanley cup finals, it's game five and everybody is like at each other. 
can you see these teams being like, all right, we're stepping away from our ego. We know the end goal. Or do you think that's just going to get pushed out the window and it's going to be more physical? I think the abs have learned some of those lessons because over the years, they are known as a talented skill team with not the most physicality. I don't necessarily agree with that. You watch last night's game and they had 50 hits plus last night. That was a bruising hockey game. Um, and it was both, both ways. Uh, what you're referring to is there wasn't much after the whistle, which was good stuff from the abs, not getting into any of that. And they realize it's a long playoff run as that long playoff run goes on. I can't say that I know for sure what's going to happen, but I will tell you this. The Avs talent has been there for all their playoff runs as, as of recent years in terms of like Nathan McKinnon, Kel McCarr when he's been on the team and Gabriel Landeskog, but their physicality guys, Eric Johnson missed that bubble run. Nazem Kadri missed last year with the suspension. Uh, Curtis McDermott can be inserted. He wasn't here before. And I think he's a more impactful, like, you know, bruiser type guy than they've had before. Um, so in terms of their physicality guys, this is the first time they've had them going into a postseason all healthy and available to play. And I think that turns the tide because you think twice about hitting the, the crap out of Nathan McKinnon like that. If you know Curtis McDermott might be coming after you the next shift. And, and, and that's a huge factor. And, you know, having Gabriel Landeskog as your captain stepping up for anyone and having Eric Johnson as your veteran D-man that'll step up for, you know, Kale McCarr or whoever, that stuff really matters in playoff hockey. Uh, and the fact that they're healthy, that depth that we keep talking about with the Avalanche team, of course it matters in terms of, you know, having more skilled guys out there on the third line than the other team. But it also matters in terms of we actually can go toe-to-toe with these guys in the rink and in the ring. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, you mentioned basketball earlier, Jake, and the NBA on TNT got to see the Stanley Cup, and they had a few words about whether or not you should touch the cup. So let's take a listen. What kids dream of? Yeah, it's the yes. best. Uh, there you go. I think. Well, Chuck, you That's understand. It. I, I think it's one of the hardest trophies to win. Yeah, it's the hardest trophy. No, 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 no. Oh, he, he know. He know I can't touch it. Can't touch I would never touch that. Yeah, yeah, I'm you, surprised, you, Chuck. You, you, no, you know I would never touch that. You don't want to touch it. I would never touch it. A championship trophy. Why? That's just a rule. I, anybody knows that. Yeah. Why? Well, even if it's not your sport, even if it's not your sport, it's not my sport. Yep. Okay. Well, listen. that's a rule. All right. That's, hey, that's hey, cool. Hey, Were there hey, any hey, other? Hey, 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 man. I'll be touching it. So this leaves open a lot of discussion. And I love, first of all, that Charles Barkley is like, no, like after all the other guys up on that table, they touched it. He was like, no, 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 I'm not touching it. This leaves open, though, Jake. If the Stanley Cup was being handed to you, are you grabbing it or are you saying no? I wish I uh, could pull up the picture of me touching the Stanley Cup when I was a kid. I'm touching it. I'm not a professional hockey player. I never thought I was going to be a professional hockey player. I never had a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Um, Charles Barkley never had a chance to win the Stanley cup. I wouldn't have, you know, had a problem with him touching it. Uh, I also trying to figure out and I, and I couldn't do through quick research. I'm like, did Charles Barkley win an sec championship at Auburn? Cause I feel like that would qualify him. You know, I, I know he didn't win an NBA championship very famously. And, you know, he had four hall of famers on his team in, with Philadelphia. And then later, you know, with Houston, he had those great teams. Um, but you know, he, he was he's not a hockey player. And, I, you know, maybe it's a different code in his mind because there is no trophy as iconic as Lord Stanley's Cup. Um, so maybe he, he puts that on a pedestal even above the Larry O'Brien trophy, which is the NBA championship. 
Um, I'm not sure what's in his mind, but you know, Kenny, the jet Smith, Shaquille O'Neal, both champions, Kenny with the Rockets, Shaq with a couple different teams. So, you know, they're, they're all out there touching the cup. And then you saw uh, the NHL on TNT crew, a couple guys on that crew didn't win the cup and they don't want to even be in the same room as it. They just feel like it's, you know, bad karma, bad luck because they were taught that you need to earn the right to be in the same room as this. You need to earn the right to touch this. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky, who's the greatest hockey player that's ever lived, is right there sitting next to you. You're not going to disrespect Lord Stanley's Cup next to the greatest hockey player who's ever lived. Like, that's blasphemy for these guys. And, you know, I, I wrote it last night, Nathan McKinnon talking about the hockey gods. Like, you know, these guys truly believe in, like, there's at least some kind of higher power, some sort of lucky thing or some kind of karma thing uh, that involves them in their sport. And they want to follow that code to make sure that they feel like they'll get the good luck benefits of it in the future. And I guess that's just part of being, you know, dedicating your life to a craft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do think it's interesting because obviously like Charles Barkley, he didn't play in the NHL. So I do find it interesting that he still won't touch it, but there's so much respect there. Cause like personally, and like you said, you've already touched it. If I was in the same room with it, I'm pretty sure I would, but that's because I would never have any way to win that trophy. But I do understand from the player's perspective of may I didn't earn it or I did earn it. So I have every right. And I think that's what makes it really cool about professional sports is it is like just common knowledge across all of it. You know what I mean? Like they understand NHL players understand the importance of winning the Stanley cup, how hard it is to win the Stanley cup. And like you said, the hockey gods, like I love that. I think it makes it so fun that they all truthfully just believe in this so much. It's like you don't step on the the fair foul line in baseball. You jump across Mm -hmm. it. You just, you don't do these things when you play these sports day in and day out, because, you know, next time maybe you strike out or you tweak your ankle, you're going to be thinking, I stepped on that line. That's why this is happening to me. And these guys truly believe it. And I believed it when I played baseball and, you know, lucky for me. I mean, I obviously haven't won anything in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm doing coffee break, no offense, but I mean, I, I, I'd be trying to, I'd be trying to do maybe play baseball or something, but I've tr- touched the World Series trophy. I've I've touched the Lord Stanley's Cup. I've touched the College World Series trophy. Um, but you know, these are all me. You know, with uh, with a Coca Cola in my hand at the game in a photo op. I, I mean, I didn't earn the opportunity. I just waited in line for three minutes. And these guys waiting in line while earning it is a lot harder than the three minutes I spent waiting in line telling all my Instagram followers like I'm about to take a picture with the Stanley Cup. <sighs> Okay, so when you think about like the superstitions, which ones are there in football? Because mm. I can't think of any off the top of my head, like I can in hockey or like you said, baseball, but I also can't really think of any in the NBA. Well, there's certainly some in both sports. Um, I'm five foot four, so NBA and NFL, uh, I never had any shot of, so I didn't really embed myself in the playing culture of either. Um, but you know, there's certain things uh, in the NFL, uh, whether it's, you know, guys wear their socks a certain way and they believe that helps their performance. And this is now getting into single person superstitions rather than, you know, league wide understood superstitions. So, uh, I mean, literally the second play I ever played football, I broke my arm and said this wasn't for me. So, I, I mean, like I, I just it's it, I, I couldn't, you know, maybe get Tyler Columbus on here to ask ask that question. <laughs> 
But I might have to do that. I'll shoot Tyler a text after the show, and I'll tweet it out if he says there are any league-wide superstitions. Because I'd love to have a ranking and figure out which is the best superstition, because I think the fair foul line in baseball is a great superstition that guys just jump across that every time. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we do a poll on Instagram stories today, Jake, or a question box to see what people think. Let's get into some football talk, though. Obviously, there was so much drama yesterday around the ownership with the Broncos. So here's what we learned going into the drama yesterday. So Josh Harris was the first ownership candidate to meet with the bank and transaction lawyers along with the Broncos. And some of those meetings did take place yesterday, so on Thursday. Ten bids were in the first round, and now they're down to five. Before we heard that there were two finalists, it's down to five. And the Broncos are valued at $3.75 billion, but could even approach $5 billion. That number just seems absolutely outrageous, but it leads into an interesting article that James did this morning on DenverFan.com. He said people should stop caring about who is going to buy the Broncos. Shakes, what's your opinion on this? the Broncos ownership sweepstakes and who gets the rose and who goes home. Uh, it's not that dramatic and not that interesting in my opinion, because the Pat Bowen trust, which is the owners of the Broncos right now has a fiduciary responsibility to give ownership to the highest bidder, which means, you know, maybe in a normal circumstance, even if the bids are similar one might be a little higher, one might not be, and the league might say, hey, we feel like this is the better fit to your franchise, that ownership group might actually take that. Now, I, I probably guess that's rare because NFL wants these sale prices to continue to skyrocket, um, but they don't have even a choice in this case. So you look at the Walton family, they're probably most likely simply because they have the most amount of money and they can just simply outbid everybody. Uh, $5 billion. I, I mean, I wish I had $50. I don't, I couldn't wrap my head around how, how much money $5 billion is. If I had $5 billion, I wouldn't be buying the Broncos. Uh, I'd probably buy an Island and never be heard from again, but that's me. <laughs> um, but they have $77 billion so they can do both. Um, so yeah, you know, Ultimately, I think that, you know, billionaires in general maybe aren't the greatest people in the world, uh, given their wealth hogging. Uh, but, you know, Josh Harris has been successful with his franchises. Um, the Walmart family obviously has done amazing in business and they have some ownership ties around town because the Cronkies are connected to that Walmart Walton family. Um Cronkies come over fire for ownership in the past and stuff that they've done. But if you look at their track record the last couple of years, I mean, the Rams winning the Super Bowl, the Avs the way they are now, the Nuggets giving out a lot of money, the Rapids were even successful this past year. Like there's not much to criticize at this given moment besides the TV stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't think it matters all that much. I personally would love if Robert Smith, a minority candidate from Denver, owned the team because that would just be such a good feel good story. I personally do not know him. I personally, you know, don't know his, what his personality is like or how he would be an owner of a team. If it would go well or go not, but you know, I'm a Denver guy at heart and you know, I, I, I want the best for Colorado and just generally speaking, people from our community generally care more about the things in our community than the things, you know, people outside of our community. And I think that's probably a, a pretty simple way to look at it. So yeah, I, I ultimately don't care because I don't think it's, it, it's, it's not worth our time. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is some of the stuff our colleague Will Peterson is finding interesting in terms of like 
how is this sale going to be executed? What amount of money? Uh, what type of land is going to be exchanged? Does that entail a new stadium? The type of stuff that actually impacts us fans uh, on a day-to-day basis rather than the actual organizational running of a team in which billionaire has power because I don't care which billionaire has power. I just know I don't have it. Right. And I think it's interesting. They're talking about Magic Johnson, obviously, kind of coming in with Josh Harris. But it's 1%, and that is $5 million or $50 million that he would put up. Like, that's insane money when you think about it. We'll all be lucky if we make, like, a million, maybe, like, $2 million in our entire lifetime. So just – it's so interesting. But then from the minority, like, interest, too, it's interesting how they're adding. And I do appreciate that they're doing it because it's obviously, like, it's needed. We can all probably be extremely honest about that. But – at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter. I think that they're billionaires. They're just going to put up money. They're going to write checks, and that's going to be it at the end of the day. And I know Broncos country just wants somebody who's going to care about this team and be involved in this community like Pat Bowen was. I will say ownership is the most important thing, more important than a head coach, GM, or, or quarterback. And that's why the Broncos were so successful for so long was Pat Bowen um, and his care and his willingness to spend money. I assume if you're going to spend $5 billion on the team, you're going to spend money on the roster. But you look at other team sales recently, like the Miami Marlins, and they spent more money on the franchise and then couldn't afford to actually pay their players. So I, I think, yeah, it does matter in circumstance of like, we need the owner to care about the Broncos in order for the Broncos to be successful. We also need that owner to be competent. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no way of knowing from just the candidate groups of who's going to buy the team, who's going to be competent. Realistically, we're not going to realize that for about two to three years after the sale even occurs. Yep. No, I'm with you there. It's going to be a long time until we see how this all plays out, but I do kind of agree with James. I think Broncos country just needs to take a step back, enjoy where this team is at and let all the money, the business side of this ownership deal deal with itself, and then just worry about the success of the team this season. Jake, thanks so much for hanging out with me on Coffee Break. Appreciate it. Also, I need to see what Rapids jersey you got on or kit. My own. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. So fun. Uh, I have one of those too, so it's so much fun. Go Rapids. They play this weekend. Also, real quick, because I can talk Rapids with you, Andre Shinashiki, I think we talked about it. He's gone. He's in Charlotte now. Yeah, uh, good for him. He gets to move on to a better situation where he's actually going to play. Uh, the Rapids brought in a star player and Gashi's artist to play in his position. Shinashiki had a really good career here with the Rapids. He was solid at the University of Denver, just, you know, kind of a local kid, even though he's from Brazil. And, you know, he's going to go on and hopefully have a long MLS career. It just didn't work out, you know, given the circumstances here. So uh, cool to see Andre still find a role in MLS and cool to see the Rapids get better while also, you know, uh, finding a home for someone that's done them well. Yep, absolutely. They take on San Jose this weekend. But everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Coffee Break. We hope you all have a wonderful Friday and a wonderful weekend. We'll see everybody on Monday. Bye, everyone.